All right. Thank you, Nathan, Jeremy. Um, Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. It is good to be able to gather with you. Um, Think about the good side of technology. Uh, Those of you that know me, it takes a lot even to say that, but we are grateful for this on a a day and a season where so much is happening, of course, in a, a gray day like today. I pray you are warmed and brightened by the fact that we are still gathering together. Uh, It is a great, great ability that God has given to us through this technology. Um, I just want to especially say thank you to Josh Anderson, who's here faithfully behind this camera. He's been here two weeks doing this. Just so grateful uh, for the body of Christ. So, uh, beloved, let's settle our hearts now as we turn to his word, uh, as we look for that anchor in his word, as we... um, try to navigate these days that we're in right now. Uh, I pray also it can be said of you, Christian, that there is great peace in the fact that we have the Lord and we can turn to his word and be stayed in that and be anchored in that. So let us do that now. But before we do that, we're going to pray. Let us pray uh, again, just getting us ready, orienting our hearts uh, to hear from the living God in his living word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much that you have given us so much. Lord, you have given us uh, the ability to do this this morning, and we are very grateful for that. So much is shutting down, Lord, around us. As so many are retreating, we can step forward and gather virtually together still on this Lord's day and give you the worship corporately that you are due And God, as we do so this morning, we want to recognize that especially in such times, we would bring uh, a different bundle of uh, our way, a different bundle of anxiety and maybe even fear and doubt and uncertainty. God, that's real, and and you know us. You know us intimately. You understand what's going on in our heart. And we want to forsake, Lord, those things that are not of you. And that would be hopelessness. Uh, That would be doubts that lead to despair. And that would be any feeling and thoughts that are our own way, uh, that put us into dark places, Lord. Uh, Because, Father, that is not who we are in you. You sent your Son into the world for your children, for your bride, Lord, for us, so that we'd have great hope on that day of salvation, Lord, that day uh, when we would stand before you, uh, but also for this life, hope and buoyancy in this life. And in times like this, Lord, so many are unsure, we are very sure very sure because of Jesus Christ. God, when we think about the certainty that we have, we think about those in our midst, Lord, dealing not just with virus changes, think about those ailing in different ways, and we corporately submit them before the throne today. And pray, God, that your hand would be on them, giving them strength, uh, a double dose for times such as this. Lord, we also think very particularly this morning of those that have gone out from us, Those on mission fields around the world, Lord, being affected by this outbreak in very different ways. And God, we pray, especially for those in regions where it is particularly intense and difficult, God, may you uh, all the more reveal to them in a very new and powerful way how you are their refuge, how you are their strength. God, bolster them in this time of need. Uh, Lord, we pray for them. Pray for the souls that they're ministering to, that you would give them Uh, just all that they need uh, to cling to you in such times. Father, now as we turn our attention uh, to your word, as we look for strength, 
these times, Lord, let it be only from you. Lord, in times like this, we are brought to our knees and we are reminded that we are absolutely dependent on your sovereign hand. God, one of the ways that you uphold us is by the truth that you reveal in your word. That means of grace, Lord, for us, let us uh, drink from that fountain today. Lord, let us hear from you and you directly. Help myself, Lord, get out of the way. Help any other distraction in such uh, distracted times, Lord, uh, be stayed and be put aside so, God, we can hear from you. So, Father, again, we come rejoicing this morning, this beginning of the week, uh, because we can gather, and we can still do this in spite of the circumstances. Father, we rejoice always, and now we commit this time in your word to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Westmount, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word as we do every Sunday through the week even and turn today to the book of Galatians, Galatians 6. Galatians 6, we left off last time in verse 5 and we will pick up in verse 6. We're going to read 6 through 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10, that's where we'll be this morning. So as we do again every morning, let me read this passage, uh, set it before us. And then we will dive in. Galatians 6, 6 to 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. A passage, the theme, I pray, just leaps out at you as you uh, read it, sowing and reaping, the principle of sowing and reaping. The farmer knows, and we think about that principle, the farmer knows he will not reap if he doesn't sow. The farmer also knows that what he reaps is a direct result of what he sows. As such, he has a variety of fields. He has the corn field, the wheat field, and the bean field. Indeed, the type of seed that is sown determines the type of crop that he reaps. We get that. The principle of agriculture in view here is also a greater principle in all of life, as we think about what we're going to talk about today. Consider with me, friends, sowing seeds of hard work. You sow those seeds, and you will reap much return from your work. Sow seeds of laziness, and you will reap not much of anything. Sow seeds of preparation, and you will reap protection and increase. Sow seeds of neglect, and you will reap vulnerability and decline. Yes, all areas of life governed by the principle here of sowing and reaping. All of life, every facet of life, not surprisingly, includes the spiritual life that we particularly see in view in this passage today. The rebellious the seeker, yes, indeed, the Christian, all subject to this principle, all. The same fixed and unchanging laws of sowing and reaping, just like the farmer. And here in this passage, we'll examine three fields, three fields in which the principle is clear. The field of ministry, 
the field of sanctification, and the field of fellowship. Three fields that we'll look at in this passage today. Let's look at the first one, the field of ministry. You'll find that in verse 6. Look with me. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Look again. Let the one who is taught the word, in other ones, the one, the one that is hearing, the one that is learning, let that one share all good things with the one who teaches, or we would say the teacher. This is the teacher and learner picture in ministry, right? Where we get disciple from, the teacher-learner. One teaching, one being taught. And here in the Bible says, to the one taught the word, share with the teacher. Share with the teacher. This is, of course, what you'd expect in an economy of sowing and reaping. You would expect this. The teacher sows seed on the ministry field. He teaches the word of God to those hearing, to those learning, to those taking it in. And what will he reap from that when he sows those seeds? Look at it. A share of the returns. Now, this is, of course, primarily material. We understand that. The one taught sharing their resources. This is indeed the support, the very tangible support that is done through giving, through compensation, right? We understand that support, that material support. Such good things, the verse says, are shared with the teacher. Again, that's precisely what's in view here. And this makes a lot of sense, so that the teacher is freed up, committed, and dedicated to teaching the Word. We get that. And note that, by the way, as we say it succinctly like that, the verse isn't directed to those just taught generally. Do you you see that there? Look at verse 6. It doesn't just say to those taught, right? There's a, a... a caveat there, there's a disclaimer there. And why do we have to pay attention to that? Because there are many ministries, beloved, many churches, many teachers, many men teaching many things, often in the name of Jesus, but hardly having anything to do with Jesus. It's very true today. And we want to make clear as we look at just this verse, that's not what's in view here. Not teachers proper. No, the seed is, look with me, those taught the word. Those taught the word. For the man sowing that, this verse says, he will reap a share of all good things by way of those taught. This is the same idea that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. This is not a foreign concept uh, just imported to Galatia. Think with me of uh, the church in Corinth as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. Exact same principle So in Galatia, but look at it here in Corinth. And you can turn there, 1 Corinthians 9. 8 to 11. This is what Paul says to the church, this collection of saints on the ground in Corinth. Beginning in verse 8, do I say these things, so these are the teachings that he's giving, on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's a principle we've looked at before. You won't muzzle the ox. It is uh, due a share of the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? So this is the lesser to the greater. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 
Same principle there. And again, with the material aspect in view, Paul, in other words, just saying that teacher, the one taught relationship, there should be a sharing exactly as we think back now to Galatians of what's in view here. Now, we need to state this is primarily material, as we've just said, but there is another aspect here, and we don't want to miss this. This reaping can also include the one taught sharing not just physical returns, but spiritual returns. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, the one taught sharing all the good things that the sown word, right? Think about that. The sown word is doing in their lives. The new Bible insight, the quick story on how they're growing spiritually, all of those evidences of what that sown word is doing in their lives and so on. Christian, that is the divine gasoline for the teacher, if you will. That is a harvest that encourages. You talk about a healthy reciprocal relationship. That is the one taught sharing with the teacher the spiritual things that are going on in their life because of the sown word. And that's the way it works on the soil of ministry, the field of God's church, God's people. The Apostle Paul now moves from the field of ministry to a more intimate field. Note this, a field close to home. And one here, as we move along, with a sober warning. And you'll find that in verse 7. As we look not just only at the field of ministry, but now we look at the field of sanctification. The field of sanctification. Look with me at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, Galatian, Christian, you can be deceived. You see that? That's the implication. You can be deceived in sowing and reaping. There is a deception that is in view here that can be true. And more, look at this, such deception would be a mockery to God. I mean, this is serious stuff. Paul says, in other words, let us not fool ourselves. And Christian, I would suggest that we are particularly prone to this deception at times. We are. And especially in the field of sanctification, when it comes to sowing in view of ourselves, and particularly with our growth. We are like self-deceived farmers at times that think if we sow thistle seeds, that some of them, one of them, just maybe at some point is going to give us wheat. That's how we sow at times. But that's not the way it works. In fact, according to sowing and reaping, the principle given by God, it can't work that way. Look at the rest of verse 7. For whatever one sows, that, that's a key word there, that, that thing sown, that is what he will also reap. In other words, if you sow thistle seeds, you will reap what? Thistles. Every time. Every single time. God is not mocked. He's never been. And this has been a principle from the very beginning. Consider with me Job 4.8. Talk about the clarity of some verses sometimes. Listen to Job 4.8. Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In other words, if you sow iniquity, if you sow trouble, that's what you will reap. Nothing different to that, exactly what is sown. Hosea 8, verse 7 Sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. What about Proverbs eleven eighteen? Principle is here as well. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets what? A sure reward. A sure reward. Very, very clear. And by the way, that's just as the New Testament confirms. 
2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, says it this way, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So now it's not just the object of the sowing, it's the nature of the sowing in view. It works with all facets of the sowing and reaping. You can see how it equates on both sides. The message in God's word, Old Testament, new, is clear. It's clear. You reap what you sow. The law, we could say it this way, of cause and consequence. That's what's in view here. The farmer sows grain, thus he reaps grain. Now, so logical, right? It makes sense. It's like one and one being two. For the farmer, you would say, sure, I get it, the thistle, not the wheat. But I would submit to you, Westmount, what about our fields, beloved? What about our fields? And what fields are those? What fields are we talking about? Well, they're outlined for us as a reminder in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here again, the two opponents, we've seen them before from chapter 5, the spirit and the flesh. And here Paul again makes clear that there is no overlap between the two. We've looked at this extensively. Think about chapter 5, verse 17, the desires of the flesh against the spirit and so on. There is no overlap. There is no middle ground. It's spirit or it is flesh. In fact, the harvest one reaps has the exact same sense of two distinct fields here. Each is distinct, and they cannot be further apart. There is no overlap here as well. The, the, the fields don't overlap. The flesh return is corruption. The spirit return eternal life. Again, think about your two poles. That's exactly what's in view here. Just like the farmer whose crop yield is directly a result of the seed sown, so too it is with us, with what we sow to into our life. And beloved, I say again, let us not be deceived by this principle that's true in all of life. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap the flesh. Thus, like flesh, we face, look at it, corruption. Corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap the Spirit. Thus, like the Spirit, as we see, we have eternal life. Sowing to the flesh yields corruption every single time. By the way, look at that word there, corruption. That word means decay. It means decomposition. It means ultimately, it has a forward thinking, ultimately there will be destruction. That's what's behind that word, destruction. That's the corruption word. Sowing to the flesh then knows nothing of upward and growth and progress in Christ. It can't. It can't. Sowing to the flesh yields a crop that brings us down, not up. Whereas, sowing to the Spirit yields what? Eternal life. Eternal life. That is not only the final destination of life, by the way, when you look at eternal life, that also speaks to the quality of one's life. And how do we say that? Remember Jesus' words in his high priestly prayer? John seventeen three. what did he say? This is eternal life, pointing to the here and now. And what is that? To know the only true God and Jesus Christ. So in the knowledge of God, knowledge of God through Christ, we talked about this in our class this morning, that is the quality of eternal life. And think about this, to know the eternal one. That's what's in view here. Sowing to the Spirit then is 
following Christ, which, as we said in chapter 5, verse 25, to follow Christ is to live by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. There's your relationship there. There's the consequence of that relationship. Sowing to the Spirit is walking by the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, uh, bringing your whole life in submission to the Word of God. Sowing to the Spirit, then, is all about walking with Christ. And here's your trajectory, growing with Christ, keeping in step with Christ. Sowing to the Spirit yields a crop that builds up, that sanctifies us, sets us apart, fully devoted onto Jesus Christ. That's what sowing to the Spirit is. And church, those are two very different fields to sow to. But again, we can be deceived. We can be deceived. And we need to be reminded here, two fields produce very two very different harvests. One of two harvests that inform our sanctification. Let us not be fooled, loved ones. Where we sow, what field we sow to, that we will reap. Beloved, I would say it this way very pointedly. This is a matter of holiness and your pursuit of holiness. This is why this is so serious and why it matters. Because in our pursuit of holiness, we can be deceived. I really appreciate the way John Stott frames this passage. He's worth quoting in full. So let me quote from John Stott on this principle of sowing and reaping in the pursuit of holiness. I quote, To sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cuddle it and stroke it instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we can't resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, Every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And then he says this, so insightful. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. End quote. Christian, you hardly need to be taught on this. You know, you know those seeds of the flesh, and we cover them extensively in chapter 5. Conversely, you also do know what it means to sow to the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you know that which prom- promotes your sanctification. Sowing to the Spirit is setting your mind on the Spirit. Romans 8 6. Set your mind on the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit is setting your mind on things above, Colossians 3, verse 2. Sowing to the Spirit is setting your life to those things that are good, Philippians 4, 8. Church, it is once again, what have we said? feels like for the past year, it's those well-worn paths. Those paths that we know well, but in our flesh we grow weary of them, don't we? We grow weary of those well-worn paths, those seeds that always start out strong, and we sow them eagerly. I want you to think of the new Christian. Almost seems like the sack is overflowing, sowing those good seeds, eager for all things of God. What about the January Christian? The January Christian wants to hit the reset button, and they sow the seeds liberally. 
This is a different story by this time of the year. After a while, whether it's the new Christian or the January Christian, we grow weary and we're tempted. We see that other field, we know that other field, and we're tempted to sow to that other field. And that is precisely why Paul gives the next charge found right in the next verse. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That verse, verse 9, is both a promise and an implication. Look at it with me. It's a promise and an implication. The promise is that we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So if we don't lose heart, we will reap a harvest. The implication then is that such a harvest will be a harvest from the Spirit. And how do we know? Because our sowing was a persistent sowing in what? That which is good. That which is good. That's how we know it's to the Spirit. Now, before we think that this charge was to a church that was in turmoil, right? And automatically you think of those Galatians, oh yes, they need charges like this, that worked up straying group, right? A needed charge to them. I want you to stop for a moment and consider that Paul gives the exact same marching orders, the same exhortation, same charge to the model church of the New Testament. That would be the Thessalonians. The lauded church, the ones whose faith, First Thessalonians 1, was known not only in their region, but the surrounding regions. The Thessalonians, the model Christians, Second Thessalonians 3.13, says this, it echoes the language in Galatians. As for you, brothers, this is the Thessalonians, do not grow weary in doing good. Wow. So Christian, think about this. If that charge is needed... For the church in the New Testament that's going hard for the Lord, I would submit to you and us, how much more for us? I mean, how much more for us? Like the disciplined farmer who keeps sowing his field season after season, friends, we too do not grow weary. We do not grow weary in our sowing to the Spirit. We do not lose heart. God's promises are sure We will reap a good harvest if we do not give up. Someone once said to me, and I've never forgotten it, you never know what God has around the corner. Is that not true? You never know what God has around the corner if you don't give up. Don't give up. And so I urge you, I urge us, do not let up. Do not let up. Yes, you are maybe growing weary in doing good. Maybe during this season, it seems like an endless season and there is no end in sight to what's going on out there with this virus. Maybe all cooped up, all unsure, you are tempted to lose heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe your flesh is just burgeoning at the seams, looking for comforts in a time when you're being pressed into yourself. Many earthly pleasures, beloved, have been removed from you, so your flesh is very restless right now. Don't let that restlessness cause you to take your hand off the plow. Don't let it do that. Don't. No. Instead, church, dig in. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Now, I would submit to you, friends, now with what we're going through now, there is no better time to dig in than right now. If you've strayed from those well-worn paths, now is the time to return to them. Now we've been given time, God-ordained, redeemed time, 
to return. You don't know, you don't know if you're tempted to let up, tempted to take your hand off the plow. You don't know if you're just moments away, if you're just moments away from building a lasting good habit. You don't know, beloved, what God has placed just around the corner for you if you don't give up. He has promised a good harvest. He's promised that, a good harvest if you don't give up. And this is what you reap in the field of sanctification. Okay, one more here. The field of ministry, the field of sanctification, and finally, the field of fellowship. We turn our attention to verse 10. Look at it with me. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So then, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Key there is as we have opportunity, at least the key for the first part, as we have the opportunity. That is not referring to some narrow opening. We say that kind of language as if this is just a moment in time where we have this one-time opportunity. It's as if Paul is writing about a specific window that is opened up right here in this first century in Galatia at this moment in time, right? An opportunity for all. Notice the we too, right? Paul is in view there as well. This is the opportunity the Galatians had, right, that Paul has, that we all still have uh, now, Now, this is a wide open door, a whole season of opportunity. In fact, we look at that all and we look at the we, and it's referring to us beyond the walls of Galatia. That is this age, the church age, this time in between, this time of waiting. This is the time now of opportunity that we can do good to everyone, neighbor and all. This is the time now, the reason that we're still here, Christian, on earth, and why we're not there in heaven, for the opportunity here and now. And church, I would submit to you, this is the time right now, right here, for this, amid COVID-19, this is the time. There never, there's never been more ripe opportunities than now. I think about the unexpected call phone call to the neighbor, when everyone else is retreating and going inward, we can be the ones reaching out to see if our neighbor is okay. Doing good to everyone, our seeds we can and should sow here and now. That's the charge that Paul is giving. Yes, our neighbor, our co-worker, our unsaved relative may not know Christ, but one of the ways God draws his elect is through the cords of the saints. That's the way he does it. We've talked about this who do good to all, the saints who do good to all, who love like Christ, who sow to the Spirit by loving others, loving neighbor. That's the way. That is one way here in this verse that we sow to the Spirit in this field. But mark this, church, it's not the only way. In fact, loved ones, it is not even the preeminent way. This becomes clear with what we see next. Continue reading in verse 10. Let us do good to everyone, yes, no doubt, and especially, there's your intensification and focus, to those who are of the household of faith. There is absolutely no doubt who is in view here as Paul wraps these instructions. Look at it, the household of faith. Same group referred to in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. 
called there the household of God. Same group as Ephesians 2.19, this would be the church, the body of Christ, the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul here says, do good to everyone, but look at it, but especially do good to them. Especially do good to them. And who would them be? Those of your own spiritual household. This is love your brother and sister. This, of course, flows right out of the law of Christ, which we looked at last week. This is the example of Christ that is our standard. Brothers and sisters, that is our standard. And that law of Christ, that love of Christ, that love of others, love of the brothers and sisters, that's our standard today. This, of course, has been the common call in this letter. Think about chapter 5, just two verses in chapter 5, verse 14, right? We talked about loving neighbor, loving neighbor, and it flowed right down through to the end of the chapter. Let us keep in step with the Spirit, not provoking one another, love for one another, right into chapter 6, verse 2, talking about fulfilling the law of Christ. And not only out of Galatia, this is the common refrain again in the New Testament. Last week, we looked at John 13, right? The new commandment given that you would love one another. And also from the apostles, 1 John 4, 21. This commandment, the apostle John says in that letter, we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I want to be clear in this verse. This is not church about spiritual prejudice. It's not what's going on here. This is not that we're better, because we're not. In fact, Christians know more than anyone else that we're not. This is simply a reflection of the same love God has for us, his church. And note that, the particular love that he lavishes on his own people. We're talking here about a specific love, a love that is not the same for all people. This is right out of God's character. Yes, it's not the same. The love... God has for his children is different to the love he has for those that are unbelieving. Because Christian, you wouldn't want that same kind of love. Listen, you wouldn't want that flattening out of love. And let me just show you why as we close this text and why this is so important to grasp practically for us. I love my wife very much with a very particular love. I love Carrie with a particular love that's only for her. Now, what kind of love would it be if I said to her, Honey, I love every woman in the world exactly the same way. You just happen to be the only one that took me up on it. Now, let's go get married. She wouldn't want that love. I wouldn't want that love. That's an illogical love. That's certainly not marital love. No, friends, that kind of unlimited love is not the way we work. And it's not the way we work because it's not the way God works. Nor is it the way that God works in his love in salvation. His love is defined and specific to all. Listen, believer or unbeliever. And Christian, if you're his, if you're saved, born again, the Holy Spirit in you, you love just like the way God loves. Hence, you love your neighbor, your mother, your children, and your spouse, all in very different ways, all in very definitive ways. Those are different aspects of love that you have for them. Very particular loves that you have for them. 
And it's the same here. God says, love everyone. Do good to everyone. That's a real and authentic love for all. Absolutely, do that. And we bestow that love on them. We do good to them. However, that is not the same. Look at the text. Look at verse 10. Not the same as doing good for the household of God, for your brothers and sisters, the church of God, the bride of Christ. That is sowing to the Spirit on the field of fellowship, the soil of the body of Christ. Now, Westman, I can't leave you without an encouragement that flows right out of this verse, and particularly this week. You know, it's true, often as teachers, we're looking for appropriate ways to press application. We're always looking for ways to say, how does this text apply to this local body of Christ? So, you come across the instruction and command in God's Word, and the teacher says, how does this apply? So, Westmount, we say, how does this text apply to us? If the verse says, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, where do we need to sit up straight and heed that here at Westmount Bible Chapel? Well, friends, it really is my joy to tell you that you are not sitting, you are standing in this. As so many retreat, you, Westmount, are stepping up. As so many isolate, Westmount, you are initiating. You are doing good to everyone, checking in on neighbors, giving rides, buying groceries. You are indeed a light on a hill, shining the light of Christ in some very dark places. That's happening. Yet that is not all that you are doing this week and not all that you have been doing through this season. You are especially doing that in God's household. Right here in this local body of Christ, Westmount, you're doing that. This week, I have been, over the past few days, checking in on all of you. You know, in some way, I've checked in with you, making sure you're all right. And as I check in with everyone that calls this church home, I find out I'm not the only one doing that. Two of you going through the entire directory, checking up on the saints, making sure that they're doing okay. Amazing. And not only that, I've had so many of you offering to help your brothers and sisters and get this. So many of you that are facing uncertain times yourself, but yet still stepping up saying, how can I help others? Even though you are being laid off, even though you are looking at a very desperate time. One of you had a doctor's appointment in Kingston this week, and what a joy it was to hear that another brother stepped up and said, I'll drive you there. That's not to PRHC, that's to Kingston. I've watched sisters band together over encouraging notes and emails. I've seen deliveries, prayers, self-sacrifice, and genuine brotherly concern. I've seen you climb over walls for each other as the rest of the world is doing what? Putting up plexiglass. You're going for each other. That's the love I've seen you have for one another, Westmount. Be encouraged. Please take this text and be encouraged. I'm sure that someone somewhere is watching from afar, noticing that particular love you have for the household of God. And I guarantee you someone somewhere is asking, how is that possible? Why is that possible? Many of you know my own testimony during 9-11. I was unsaved at that time. And when I saw the household of God doing what they did to each other, I was one of those people that said, how is that? The world is uncertain. Here are these people loving each other. Beloved, that's you. I was impacted by that, and I know that others are impacted by what you're doing right now. And we pray that those watching from afar, because they are on their islands with their telescopes, they're watching from afar, We pray that they would draw close enough to ask so that we can tell them and we can share with them. It is not because we are uncertain and tossed to and fro. It's not because we're captivated in waves of fear. There's an instinct 
very practical flesh reaction. No, it's none of those things. No, it is because we are anchored in something much bigger than that to the one ever faithful, ever true, Jesus Christ. And household of God, as we band together, I invite Nathan to come back up. I think there's no fitting, no more fitting response to this text, to this verse, than for us to sing together. Why can we do this? Why can we love not only neighbor? Why do we love each other, especially those in the household of God? Why can we do that? Because we are anchored in the one sure and steady one, the one ever faithful, one ever true, Jesus Christ. That's why we can. As the rest of the world is just rocking to and fro, uncertainty, chaos abounds. We, Christian, we have peace. We are stayed. We are still. We are anchored. So again, let us do that now as we close. Let us just sing, flow right into singing together. Christ, the sure and steady anchor. You have the lyrics in front of you. I turn it over, Nathan. Lead us in that.